Hey, thank you so much for listening to What God Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. Our goal, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Well, it's now all beginning to make sense. The timing of my birth in conjunction with the crossroads where we now find ourselves as a nation. At the age of five years old, my dad took a new work position with Dahlgren Manufacturing Company as an East Coast salesman. Like an episode right out of the Wonder Years, my father was buying a new car in which to carry out his new job. My sister begged my father to buy the new hottest car on the market, the 1965 Ford Mustang, the now most ultimate classic Mustang ever built. I still remember the day that we went together as a family to Fort Worth to pick up the new car. Almost literally the day we were leaving for Clinton, Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C. When we got to the car lot, my father got the keys to a dark blue, four-door, 1965 Ford Falcon. My sister and I were so disappointed. So we loaded out Jim Price's family four and our four-door Falcon with no power anything, no air conditioning, including just Armstrong power steering, meaning old school or circulating ball steering, no hydraulic assistance of any kind. It was bad, really bad. It was from the back seat of that Ford Falcon with no required seat belts that I witnessed the results of a nation embroiled in turmoil, agitation. In the back of that Falcon, I saw the caravans of National Guard troops headed in to support the shutdown of the city due to the race riots, forcing us to go forever out of the way to pick up my father from Dulles Airport as opposed to Washington National, now called Reagan National Airport. As a child, I always wondered why I could see the Air Force One presidential plane from the recess playground of Surrattsville Elementary. It would pass low enough overhead that we could see the American flag painted in the tail of the aircraft. Once I got Google Maps, I was able to see that Clinton, Maryland, sat just south of Andrews Air Force Base, where they still park the presidential plane today. Clinton, Maryland was originally called Surrattsville and was the home of Mary Surratt's, the insurrectionist who harbored John Wilkes Booth the night he rode from Ford's Theater, just after killing President Lincoln. It was at Mary's house there on Brandywine Road that Dr. Samuel Mudd set Booth's fractured leg which he broke as he launched from the presidential box to the stage of that now infamous theater. Mary was the first woman ever sentenced and executed under the capital punishment of the United States of America. My sister and I would cut across the school property, which our house backed up to, track through Miller's Field and Woods, and would go over to the old house. Back then, it was dilapidated in need of restoration. We would try to peer in the old windows and were creeped out by the thoughts of what went on there. At the time of the assassination, the direct route John Wilkes Booth Road was a dirt road, which in time became the same paved route we drove on to go to Baltimore, Maryland to pick my dad up from Washington National Airport. I lived in D.C. during violent and tumultuous days, during the race riots and the hippie protests of the Vietnam War. As a kid, I would watch the evening news every night at supper, as we all did back in the Vietnam War, and they reported that the hippies were actually swimming naked in the reflection pool that large uh, decorative pool placed between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument. Of course, as a young kid, I thought, well, first of all, I didn't know it was that shallow. Number two, I didn't know that you could swim in it. And number three, I was fascinated that the hippies were swimming naked. Of course, my mother 
promptly reminded me that we were not going to D.C. to swim in the pool. It was a city embroiled in violence, though, protests, agitation, and historically in assassination and death. Because of the way my mind is wired, I can still see it. I know it firsthand. I have a context, historically, from which I speak. Never in my lifetime of 60 years have I ever seen our nation in such a turmoil and agitation as I see today. Regardless of where you stand politically, if you are paying attention to reality, you would have to know that these are the most critical days of our nation. The communist thrust of the 60s across the globe were real. The war protests of the 60s were real, being fueled by a mandatory draft to serve the death machine of a battle against the communists of North Vietnam. 18-year-old boys were being sent to a slaughter in a quagmire of controversy that ultimately led to the collapse of Vietnam, which resulted in ultimately the Cambodian genocide carried out by the Khmer Rouge, resulting in between one and a half to two million murders. I can still see the magazine articles of those sheds where the skulls of the people were stacked in pyramids. It's just unreal to see, to know of the violence that came out of that failure. Nearly a quarter of the population of that country died in that genocide. I remember the now somewhat respected Jane Fonda, who as a young woman sat on the backs of the military gear of the North Vietnamese for photographs laughing with the Viet Cong, the communists, while our boys were being slaughtered. I have a context. The communist insurgent that was sweeping the world was just beginning to establish itself here in the United States of America. Now, 50 years later, it is at our doorstep, waiting to be invited in by popular vote. The same tack Adolf Hitler chose as he ascended to the power ranks in Germany. That uneducated street urchin who never, ever had a real job in his life rose to power, many pushing for outright revolution to install his ideology, yet Adolf was determined to rise to power by means of the Constitution, seize power by election, and he did just that. Adolf hated the Russians and their democratic socialism, though some are saying now that Hitler was a closet socialist himself. Hitler was a racist, a twisted nationalist, who firsthand suffered the ravages of Germany's collapse after World War I and was determined to do something about it. He became a tyrannical dictator whom he felt was doing the Lord's work. Yes, you heard me right. Adolf Hitler, if you read about Hitler, he felt he was doing the Lord's work. So here we stand at the crossroads of Marxism. And I want to remind you that Marxism, by any other name, socialism or communism, is still Marxism at its core. And let me say that Marxism, socialism, communism has never worked. It will never work because of the fallenness of man, because of the depravity of man's nature. Marx, who envisioned a world of utopia ruled by the proletariat, the working class, and the abolition of the bourgeoisie, lived a dream, lived a pipe dream. Because, in fact, the fallenness of man and the total depravity of man makes it impossible for man to achieve utopia apart from the resurrection power of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ working in his life. And so, therefore, today, the terms we hear regarding 
socialism or democrat socialist or a democratic socialist or however you want to say it at the end of the day it is all just marxism that originated out of the mind of karl marx and the bottom line is it is an impossibility because of where man comes from and so here we stand at the crossroads of marxism socialism communism by any other name and judeo-christian american constitutionalism the bill of rights and the amendments a democratic republic once one nation under god now a nation estranged from god by an atheistic core the result the purported rise of acceptance by the 20-somethings and under crowd of socialism marxism the overthrow of our nation's education system by an atheistic marxist is real it's happened with devastating results now we are faced with the real question what do we do if by honest election America chooses to go the way of socialism, Marxism, and by vote upends and overturns the founding tenets of our nation by the very means that once made us great. Don't say it can't happen. The split in the two-party system is practically at the 50-50 point, just battling for a few hundred thousand votes to decide the future. Something a lot of people do not realize is that the tactics that both parties were using in the last election where they were working through Facebook and social media, their algorithms and their mathematics and their science is so specific that they know the number of people's minds they have to turn in order to capture the election. The best I can remember, Donald Trump's campaign was seeking to garner about 200,000 changes of mind among registered Democrats who have consistently voted Democrat throughout the years and who have consistently voted and they targeted their desktops through Facebook and began to push stories to them that caused them to become discouraged and it resulted in them not showing up at the polls. This is a documented fact. And they know how many people that they, churned, they turned or churned in their minds to stay away from the polls. And they exceeded their goal, I believe it was by about 100,000 people. They know this. Now before you say collusion or or conspiracy keep in mind that Hillary Clinton's campaign was doing the exact same thing and Facebook was making the money and so the bottom line is is the entire balance of the election really resides in the hands of just a few voting Americans and so what we know in the way that the polls have been going and the voting record has gone in the past several elections our entire nation is really right at the 50-50 split that is why the stakes are so high in this coming election. So here we stand at the crossroads. The latest debacle on Capitol Hill is symptomatic of a nation at the breaking point. The absurdity with which it is played out is surreal, like something out of an Oliver Stone movie, yet it's very real. For the acting director of the National Intelligence Community, now keep in mind, this person speaking before Congress is the acting director of the intelligence community. First of all, they're having trouble getting people to fill the positions. Number two, this person is sitting as the acting director of the National Intelligence Community for the United States of America. The director of national intelligence serves as the head of the United States intelligence community overseeing 
and directing the implementation of the National Intelligence Program. The DNI also acts as the principal advisor to the President, the National Security Council, and the Homeland Security Council for Intelligence Matters Related to National Security. For the Acting Director of the National Intelligence Community of the United States of America, the single most powerful, knowledgeable person in the intelligence community in the world, for him to go before the Congress of the United States and state that he did not know who the subordinate is who quote-unquote blew the whistle and that he would do everything in his power to protect their anonymity was devastating and pathetic to hear. And they want us to believe that every word we are speaking in our cell phone, every bit of communication on our computers is being recorded and archived in a vast facility in Colorado. Thank you, Edward Snowden. Yet Snowden is a treasonous worthy of the death penalty, according to some, and someone in the intelligence community who is listening to or spying on telephone calls between the President of the United States and world leaders is a patriot? Someone is lying. The agitation in which we now live transcends party politics. I want you to hear that again. The agitation in which we now live transcends party politics. I want you to be clear. I'm not talking politics today. What we are witnessing is that all hell has broken loose against that most precious gem, the greatest democracy that has ever existed on the planet Earth. And I didn't. I do not use the term all hell broken loose in a vulgarity sense. I am speaking specifically that Satan and his ambassadors have unleashed all hell against this nation's government. Do you hear me? Against this nation's government. Satan has hated America since its inception, since its birth. And now he has pulled back the covers to reveal the full onslaught of evil against her, that in a possibly very short period of time will be her undoing. The agitation is rising to the boiling point of an outright physical civil war, and it appears that no one is at the helm of the bus to steer us from it. Satan dances the whirling dervish jig of celebration in the streets of D.C. tonight. Dear people, this is not good for you, and it's not good for me. It's not good for our nation. All hell is broken out in our nation. For the one who has ears to hear and eyes to see, you know that this is the truth. Those who hate our nation and the tenets upon which it is founded do not want a seat at the table. They want the entire banquet. If those of us who wanted the America of our founding fathers were to totally capitulate, agree that we have come to a point of impasse, a point of division so great that we must part ways, so that we all might live in peace, it would be an impossibility. Those who want what America was could give the rest of the other 49 states in the Union and just keep Texas. I'm not being silly. Texas's landmass is twice the size of one of the most powerful nations in the world, Germany. It has all the means to sustain itself. If those who wanted the America that was were to relinquish all the rest and even declare, go your way, sacrifice children to Molech, Build temples to the celebration and sacrifice of childhood innocence to pedophilia. Obliterate all definition of two sexes to where it is now an infinite amount of self-defined determination. Give personages to rivers, streams, and primates. Did you know that? Have you checked that out on Google? 
where they're giving rivers personage, rights like a person, giving primates personage, rights like a person, where others who can speak on their behalf can file lawsuits and obliterate landowners, animal owners, what have you, to the point of absurdity, to insanity, and this is for real, dear people, while at the same time, and I'm not trying to be gross or vulgar, but dear people, this is what's happening, and we need to face it. We need come to come face to face with the reality of what abortion is. That all the while vivisectioning the unborn or born human beings because of a woman's declared rights. Destroy the concepts of individual ownership. Elevate the power of the state to supplant an absent God. To make the state supreme. Go, but they would not go because that is not all they are after. They're after us. Those who follow the teachings and ideology of Marxism hate all that we stand for. They hate the constitutional reminder that we were one nation under the Creator God and that we are individually, personally endowed with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I say we were one nation under the Creator God because we are at about a 50-50 breaking point. They want us. So here we sit at the crossroads of a powder keg of agitation with historical consequences that will forever change America one way or the other. All hell has broken loose. I have a context. I know what you're thinking, Kenny. I thought you said that your end goal with this podcast is to advance equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Oh, dear friend, I aim to do just that. As I discussed in the introductory episode, sometimes advancing equilibrium means having to discuss hard things. To advance equilibrium does not mean the absence of difficulty. It means the abolition of agitation, turmoil. The only hope for a way out of this mess and the coming increasing violence is for all heaven to break loose on our nation. And I believe it's coming. I was waked up at 2 a.m. a few days ago, and God spoke this to me and gave this to me. I'm not saying I'm speaking prophetic words. I'm telling you that as a Bible-believing Christian, that God speaks to my heart through the still small voice of his Holy Spirit that lives in me and is a seal on my life until the day of redemption. And his Holy Spirit at 2 a.m. in the morning, I was waked up with this message. My heart was deeply disturbed by what I had seen on the television that day and what I have been witnessing these past two years, three years. The Holy Spirit said, get ready. The unthinkable is getting ready to happen. This has all the appearance of a satanic heyday and feeding frenzy, but this is a part of the mystery and the handiwork of the providence of God who is all over it. You see, dear people, the God of all creation really does really still sit upon his throne. He is the one who shed his grace on us. His Bible does possess and provide all the tenets for sound government over men which exalts God and blesses men. He is here and he is watching and things are right at the breaking point in our nation so that when he shows up, and he acts, the entire human race will know that it is he 
who has intervened and acted. And to him alone will all glory and praise be given. God shares the stage with no one. But know this, when he acts, it always comes through one of five ways. It always comes through one of five ways. Number one, war. Number two, famine. Number three, pestilence. Number four, natural occurrences. Number five, wild beasts. Always. Study the Old Testament and the New Testament. Always. Let me explain a couple of these further. War, you understand. Famine, we understand. Famine normally comes as a result of war and of the tyranny and atrocity that men carry out against man. Pestilence is also a result of war and the destruction of the environment due to war. The pestilence and plagues. Number four was natural occurrences, and by this I mean everything from, as the book of Revelation talks about, will be 100-pound, if I remember the weight correctly, 100-pound hailstones. The Bible talks about in the last days that the there will be wars and rumors of wars, but that also that there will be earthquakes in various places. And you need to keep in mind that there have been earthquakes all throughout history. When Jesus said there will be earthquakes in the King James says divers places, that means there's going to be a lot of earthquakes. And dear people, if you will look at the U.S. Geological Survey website, look at the earthquake map for the globe and look at all of the dots of the earthquakes around the United States and around the continents that the entire globe is quaking. But what can come is even greater than what we've seen. I don't know if you're keeping up with all the potential earthquakes that are waiting at our doorstep here in the United States. I'm not the one saying this. It's the scientists who are saying this. Do you know about the Cascadia fault line off the coast of California and Washington State? The scientists are trying to get the public ready. They're telling the story. The fault line off the coast of the West Coast is about 200 years overdue to discharge its energy. What is happening is the subduction of the plate into the continent. They've got monitoring stations set up on the mountains. They know that the plate is pushing downward under the western shelf of the United States, the continent. They know how far the mountains are moving outward toward the sea as they're being pushed up and out. And they have the core samples. You can see the documentaries on YouTube of where they're able to tell you that that fault line has moved and rectified itself of the tension of plate against plate. And so now we're about 200 years overdue for the discharge of that massive force of energy. When the Cascadia fault line finally snaps and the pressure is relieved and the mountains shift back inward and the tension is removed, the scientists are predicting that that transference of energy is going to result in a tsunami that is so close in proximity to the shores of the western United States that you will not have time to go to get your family, go to your schools to pick up your children. But if you hear of word in time that you will have to go and face inland and go as high as and as fast as you can. So in other words, catastrophe with a loss of between 30 to 40,000 lives. The New Madrid fault line down the middle of the United States along the Mississippi River. 
I'm not being a doomsayer. I'm telling you, this is what the scientists are saying awaits us. That when it finally shifts and it does its thing, that the potential for Memphis to be leveled, especially along the river, is great because the city is built there in the, in the, the sand. It's not hard-packed, solid ground. It's delta soil. But I can take you from point to point to point to say that God has an arsenal of weapons waiting at his disposal to discharge, to bring an unruly and a godless society back into his plan. The point of it is God will carry out his redemptive act on the planet, and man cannot thwart it. God has shed his grace on thee, our nation, but now we have turned our back, and we're now a nation at the crossroads. And so God is getting ready to show up. And the bottom line is he's going to do it through one of five ways. Study the Old and New Testament. Always. Google it for yourself. Look at the book of Revelation. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. The bowls. The vials. All of it. War. Famine. Pestilence. Natural occurrences. Wild beasts. I remember back in the 70s that Hal Lindsey wrote the book regarding the end times called The Late Great Planet Earth. And he took the images that John sees in his apocalyptic vision and he began to assign to them things that he understood from man's point of view. And so the insects that are hideous that are released from the abyss and that pour forth like a cloud so hideous that they have the face of a man and the hair of a woman, the body of a horse, and the tail of a scorpion, just this hideous, hideous creature, and the ability to sting mankind and yet not put the man to death, but yet the man begging to be put to death, that Lindsay then extrapolated over and said, well, it's the new attack helicopter with its missiles. Dear friend, it's going to be what God said it's going to be. He will use wild beasts to chasten and to punish the evildoers at the last day. And so God uses means that man sees as naturally occurring events. Man misses the divinity of God in the midst of the action. It's like finding a meteorite on the ground. You walk past it, it appears to be just another stone. The deer lease that I hunted on as a child, my father had a permanent camp on a ranch west of Fort Worth, and all over the ground were these dark, almost black stones. But if you picked them up, they were extremely heavy. Uh, a stone of about three, no, less than three inches, maybe two inches in circumference, could weigh a pound. I began to look at it and study it. It was made out of some sort of ore, but it was not iron. It was non-magnetic. The more I studied it, I began to realize that her property was covered in meteorites. A side note, did you know that meteorites are very expensive and worth a lot of money per pound? But people walking across the deer lease all the time never paid attention to the fact that many of the stones on that property were from outer space. Something had penetrated earth from the exterior, and yet no one even perceived it as being from beyond. 
That is the way of God's chastening or disciplining or judging acts upon the earth. To the one who does not have ears to hear and eyes to see, he misses it. For the one who sees and knows, it brings about repentance. It brings about life change. So God's direct intervention is always a good thing because his purpose and ways are ultimately redemptive in nature. He loves his creation and will go to the means necessary to advance his plan. If his creation responds to his call through the still small voice of his spirit to the human heart, more drastic and increasingly harsh ways are avoided. For those who know Christ as Savior, our outcome is secure, regardless of the appearance of things in the immediate present. The cruel occurrences to Joseph of the Old Testament appeared to be actions to a forgotten and betrayed 17-year-old, but it proved out to be the providential care and guidance of a loving God who used an Egyptian pharaoh under the guidance of a captive Hebrew young man named Joseph to save the entire world from starvation and ultimately through which a captivity of 400 years would birth Abraham's clan into the nation of Israel. So the cataclysmic agitation is at an apogee. Now the stage is set for God to arrive. For the Christian, regardless of the immediate outcome, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors through Christ Jesus. And we will overcome the one who has launched all hell against us. How? Revelation says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The agitation we are living out in our once beautiful, now fallen nation is real. But our nation has not fallen beyond the love and care of a loving God who is not willing that any should perish, but all would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. His word is truth. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. If you will place your faith and trust alone in him for your forgiveness of sin and rely on him alone for your salvation, he will save you and give you an eternal invincibility against agitation and decay. That's how much he loves the world. So, dear people, let's pray to our God and cry out for his mercy and intervention. Trust that he is here, he sees, and he is getting ready to take the stage in this turmoil in America. It's going to be grand and unthinkable. It will be redemptive to those who respond and judgment for those who won't. As a parting gift of encouragement, I invite you to subscribe to a podcast of a dear lifelong friend of mine named Billy Taylor. It's called The Daily Promise. Every day, Billy will, in three minutes, share the truth of God's Word with you in a way that will embed the peace and promise of God in your mind and your heart. It's on iTunes and podcast players everywhere. He's doing really well. He's had over 50,000 downloads, so the feedback is strong. His words of encouragement are connecting to the hearts of people across the globe. So until next time, my friends, peace. Peace.